Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, new restoration plans are announced on the Mississippi Gulf Coast in the wake of the BP oil spill. The number one issue that we had from, from the various and the sundry uh, public meetings that we had on the coast, what kept coming up was, was water quality and improvement of water quality. And as I said before, my, my agency is the one who issues beach advisories, so we're obviously very familiar with, with those particular issues. Then protecting the rights of the elderly in nursing home disputes. Later, a health minute from Dr. Rick DeShazo on headaches and combating algae blooms with research at the Army Corps of Engineers in Vicksburg. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi officials say improving water quality is one of the main issues addressed by a new round of oil spill restoration projects. The improvements are part of the ongoing cleanup on the Gulf Coast after the 2010 BP oil spill. Governor Phil Bryant spoke with MPB's Evelina Burnett at the event announcing the new projects yesterday. He says the latest round of environmental and economic restoration will include 15 new projects totaling $114 million. Most of it is water quality, air quality, land quality, uh, workforce development. We're very proud. Uh, this, again, is a part uh, of a number of um, federal funds and, um, and BP funds that were uh, brought together. So we're trying to, as we can, match those funds, uh, working with the Corps of Engineers, working with NIFWIF, uh, National Fish and Wildlife uh, Federation. Uh, to maximize the investment, and I think we've done so. This $114 million will go a long way in helping restore the land, water, and air here along the Mississippi Gulf Coast and help create jobs. We're putting about $3.6 million into this uh, center here. This has got to be the anchor. This is where people will come for larger conventions. Uh, We have every amenity that anyone would want and anyone uh, uh, would find uh, around the country or around the world, but we've got to have an anchor hotel here. We've got to make sure that this uh, convention center is a state of the art, and we're uh, taking the first step to make sure that that happens. You know, what we are trying to do is make sure that we continue to assess this land, water, and air. What will be the effects of the spill 50 years from now? Uh, what will these jobs uh, or the, these projects uh, really create as far as jobs? Um, are we getting the most uh, for our investment? We want to be transparent and very accountable. I'm an old auditor, so I want to make sure that every dollar that is spent is going uh, for the cause of restoration. What are your thoughts on uh, the most of the money going on to uh, going to water quality? Why water quality? I just think it's so important. Water is uh, the basis of all that we do here. Uh, without that uh, beautiful Gulf of ours, without that sound, nothing here uh, would 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 exist. Uh, and so it has to be a quality where people will allow their children to go in. They will come here for recreational purposes. The seafood capital of the world that we're building will be here because of water quality. Uh, that is job one to us and always has been. MPB's Evelina Burnett with Governor Phil Bryant on new projects on the Gulf Coast to help the continued recovery from the BP oil spill. State Environmental Quality Director Gary Reichard tells Evelina Burnett coast residents say water quality is one of their top concerns as the Gulf Coast continues to address issues raised by the oil spill. 
the number one issue that we had from, from the various and the sundry uh, public meetings that we had on the coast. What kept coming up was, was water quality and improvement of water quality. And as I said before, my, my agency is the one who issues beach advisories, so we're obviously very familiar with, with those particular issues. And so uh, taking what the public said, taking what the, the coastal legislative delegation had met with me, and their number one priority w- w- was about that too. So we wanted to put a majority of the money uh, as a, uh, in, into water quality and water quality improvements. That will uh, we haven't identified specific projects per se, like we're going to fix sewer line from A to B in, in some, some certain uh, municipality, but that's something that we'll be looking at. We're looking at and, and have met with the um, wastewater authorities and the municipalities to kind of get their list of where they know their problem areas are. So we're evaluating that, and we're also um, looking independently of, hey, where do we have uh, consistent beach advisories that we issue? Let's go upstream. From, from where those beach advisories are to see if there's a problem somewhere, if there is a uh, sanitary sewer overflow, if there is some type of uh, 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 stormwater conveyance that's not uh, 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 handling properly, if there's inflow and infiltration. And so uh, what the plan would be is to evaluate that and, the, and then attack those particular problem areas in, in the effort to try to, 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 to improve the water quality of the sound. So and some of the projects are not um, directly environmentally focused or right. you know so there's a uh, money for the coast coliseum sure. for a salvation army center right. how does that fit into the sort of larger plan for sure. using the restoration money so part of the restore act um, one of the things that in addition to restoring the uh, environment it wanted to restore the economy and so the restore act in in bucket one there's all the buckets that, that we've talked about before but in bucket one it allows specific economic development projects workforce development projects infrastructure projects it's not um, relegated just to ecological or environmental projects. So the 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 non-environmental projects that you mentioned that you see that you see today are are projects that are being funded out of bucket one. Um, and today, uh, I think we're funding somewhere around eight point six million dollars in in economic projects, and the remainder, the 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 hundred and six million, are going toward environmental related projects. What about the beach challenge? Can you tell me a little bit about what, what that's sure. going to be? Sure. So the, so the beach challenge, everyone who's driven across the coast has seen, has seen the beach outfalls. And so one of the earlier NIFWIF projects that we were looking at that's not announced today but was announced earlier seeks to get input from, from, from the public and others on uh, how, to, how to rectify those, those, those outfalls, how to change the design. Is there some way that we can um, um, come up with a, with a system or a solution to, to improve uh, water quality by putting in anything from potentially an artificial wetland to something else to improve the water quality associated with that, and, and not only from an environmental standpoint but from an aesthetic uh, standpoint. So that's that's the the start of, of of that project. What we're doing is uh, today announcing the rules and the start date for the requirements for that uh, beach uh, outfall challenge. MPB's Evelina Burnett with State Environmental Quality Director Gary Reichard. Up next, protecting the rights of the elderly in nursing home disputes. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jeremy Hobson. As a candidate, Donald Trump called out Ford for moving manufacturing jobs to Mexico. Ford's building, I told you, Ford's building a plant in Mexico. Okay. What good does that do? What good does it do? They're hiring thousands of people, all Mexican. We'll speak with Ford CEO Mark Fields about that, driverless cars, and more. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. 
Support for MPB comes from the Christmas by Candlelight Tour, December 2nd, with holiday decorations and entertainment at six historic Jackson sites starting at the Mississippi State Capitol. Complimentary transportation between sites available. Details at mbah.ms.gov. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A new rule that would allow more Mississippians to sue nursing homes is on hold while a federal judge makes a decision on the case. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services wants to ban nursing homes that receive federal funding from requiring people to sign arbitration clauses. But U.S. District Judge Michael Mills wrote the agency may not have the power to make that rule. Elder law attorney Ronald Morton of Clinton says since arbitration is private, it isn't subject to public scrutiny like court cases are. Morton speaks with MPB's Desiree Frazier. The nursing home industry serves really the most helpless among us, people that can no longer handle their own affairs and from both a health and many times a mental uh, status. And so they have no, no choice but to wind up going to a nursing home. And so in the process of entering a nursing home, uh, some, in fact, in, in probably most nursing homes now uh, have an arbitration clause in their admission papers. So they ask people to basically waive their right to a jury and turn that over to a single arbitrator. And so it impacts anybody that really is, is in this vulnerable level of having to go through the, the stress of having to enter a nursing home and then be asked to, to at that point, waive those, those rights. Well, who picks the arbitrator? It would depend on the arbitration clause, but generally it's a neutral arbitrator. So the arbitration clauses will, will vary. There's no standard arbitration clause. There is uh, certain arbitration groups that people qualify to serve in, and so a neutral arbitrator is picked among those participants in that group. And many times it's, uh, in fact, it should be people that are familiar with the industry uh, in, in, in the areas of, of, of nursing homes and such. Do you find that people are successful if they try to uh, sue a nursing home, or does the arbitration clause mean that you have no recourse at all and suing is out of the question? Generally speaking, the arbitration clause is going to be upheld. Uh, There are very limited circumstances in which an arbitration clause will um, not be upheld. So you are giving up your right to a jury. Now, to say that there's no recourse uh, is incorrect because you are still getting to present your case in front of the arbitrator. Uh, What you're losing is your ability to present that case before a judge and a jury of your peers. And as someone who represents elder clients, how do you feel about that? You know, as a lawyer, I believe in the jury system. I think that it is an important right that we have, and I do not uh, like the idea that my clients are required to uh, give up that important right, and especially give it up in a way that uh, is at a, a very stressful time and at a time that many of them are most at their most vulnerable state and families are frankly in their most vulnerable state. So uh, I, arbitration is a positive thing. You know, there's nothing that prohibits parties when a dispute arises to agree at that time on arbitration and many times that's that's appropriate. But to simply bury that in fine print or to require that as a prerequisite to entry personally uh, don't like the, 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 the idea that my clients are being required to do that. That's what I was going to say. If you want your loved one in that facility and part Part of the prerequisite is to sign those documents. They feel compelled to sign them. That yes, that is, that is uh, my experience. Yes, um, the you know the documents are not presented as you know you have a choice to agree with this or not. They're 
you know, there is a, a large pile of documents that are being signed, and you know, and you know, sign here. This is your arbitration, you know, an arbitration clause agreeing to to arbitration, just as matter of factly, as part of, um, of 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 the admission process. Do you come across cases where you think arbitration this needs to be settled by a judge and jury? Yes, and there, there are advantages and disadvantages to arbitration. I don't want to say seem negative that arbitration doesn't have its place or shouldn't be agreed to. Certainly, in the context of business dealings where uh, you know parties are negotiating something, arbitration becomes part of that negotiation, and the parties may agree among themselves that yes, if we do get into a dispute, this is a more efficient way of handling that, and we both agree to that. But that's a far cry from someone in a vulnerable state being being led to a, a take-it-or-leave-it situation of sign this and waive this important right, uh, and then we'll move on to the next the next form. And so, in in those circumstances, the, the you know a jury may be a superior um, forum to determine. Uh, whether someone's entitled to damages and what those damages should be, rather than relying on what generally is a single arbitrator uh, with no rights of appeal. In other words, you're giving up a substantial right uh, by losing our jury system and losing our appellate system. The other thing that concerns me about these clauses as a right is that part of arbitration is the fact that it is private. Now, that's that's argued by proponents of arbitration clauses as a benefit uh, because it we don't have the the neither the public scrutiny that's involved in our court system nor the inefficiencies and delays of the of the court system. However, that privacy also results in many times important shortfalls of facilities not coming to the light, not coming to light because there is no court case, there is no public record. It's a private decision generally determined in some lawyer's conference room presenting facts in front of a, a, a single arbitrator who then is going to issue a single opinion, and then that is that is the decision. It's a, it's a disservice to the public at large because these shortfalls in many cases don't come to light, which may have, have helped others had they come to light. MPB's Desiree Fraser with elder law attorney Ronald Morton on using arbitration versus going to court in nursing home disputes. Up next, a health minute from Dr. Rick DeShazo on headaches. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Coming up this week on MPB's At Issue, we preview the 2017 legislative session. Lawmakers will soon get back to work at the state capitol. Education, infrastructure, and the budget are expected to be at the top of the agenda. MPB political analysts, Democrat Brandon Jones and Republican Austin Barber, provide insight on the critical issues facing the state and how legislators handle them. Join us for Mississippi's only statewide television news program, At Issue, this Friday at 7.30 p.m. on MPB TV. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy, live blue. It's good to be blue. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Man, headaches can really be a headache, especially if they're recurrent and severe. Present research suggests that most headaches are actually migraines. Migraine is a common disorder which is associated with a disabling headache, usually associated with nausea and sensitivity to light and sound. There are four stages of migraines, which include warning symptoms, aura, which can be smells or blinking lights or unusual sensations, headaches, and the after-headache syndrome. 
Migraineurs may have one or all four of these components. The headache of migraine is often but not always one-sided, tends to be throbbing in quality, and increases over several hours. During that time, nausea and vomiting, sensitivity to light and sound may occur, prompting migraineurs to lay down in a dark place. Once the headache is over, sudden head movement may cause pain in the location of the previous headache, and there may be a sensation of exhaustion or feeling good. Most migraines are uncomplicated and can be relieved with simple medicines called rescue medicines. Individuals with frequent migraines require additional medicine called controllers. The most effective rescue medicines for migraines are drugs in the class called triptans, of which there are about seven, including sumitriptan. Some are available as nasal spray, auto-injector, as well as pills, with some of the pills melting under your tongue. Which triptan is best is not predictable, and it may be necessary to try more than one to find the most effective one. The earlier the use, that is when symptoms first develop, the more effective the triptan. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents like naproxen or Aleve make triptans more effective. Most physicians now recommend combinations of triptans and naproxen as rescue for acute attacks. A number of medications have been used to prevent migraines and are called controller medications. Drugs most frequently used as controllers include beta blockers, antidepressants, anticonvulsants, and a few other drugs. The right drug depends on the patient and what other medical conditions may be present. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The election is over, and the nation has selected a new president, and with it, a new chapter in history has begun. We don't know what lies ahead, but NPR will continue to bring you the best coverage from coast to coast. Listen every day. MPB Radio's local programs are available now as podcasts. Sure, you love your MPB mobile app. It streams your favorite program anytime you like. But when streaming's not the thing, say, in flight or driving on the Natchez Trace, download your favorite podcast and you've got it in your pocket. Available on iTunes or on any podcast app. Grab your local MPB podcast now. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Large hazardous algae blooms are cropping up more and more around the country. The green, foul-smelling slime can affect everything from small fishing ponds to rivers and reservoirs, even Great Lakes. And the events are so toxic, they've been known to cause serious health risks, risks, including lung and kidney problems in humans and deaths in animals. But as MPB's Paul Boger reports, some scientists in Mississippi are working on a solution. The water has to take a torturous path through here so that it gets a lot of exposure to the metal surface. Karina Young is a research microbiologist with the Army Corps of Engineers in Vicksburg. She's explaining an experiment that could help remove excess chemicals like the phosphates and fertilizers from waterways. But we have activated charcoal and then it feeds through. Some experts say the mix of farm runoff, wastewater and rising temperatures are making algae blooms more and more likely. Over the past several years, hazardous blooms have erupted in places like Lake Erie, choking the city of Toledo's water supply for weeks. 
Along the Ohio River, a hazardous bloom stretched nearly 600 miles, affecting three states. In Mississippi, a toxic bloom held parts of the Gulf Coast under siege for days last year, leaving a swath of dead marine life in its wake. We rely a lot of our recreation, our tourism, our economic dollars come from freshwater water bodies. That's Brooke Herman. She's part of a team of scientists at the U.S. Army's Engineer Research and Development Center in Vicksburg. She says hazardous algae blooms, or HABs, can have a far-reaching effect on everyday life. Really, the, the impacts of HABs are, again, wide-ranging. We have anywhere between public health issues, where there's human illnesses, um, pet deaths, wildlife deaths, um, threatened endangered species are impacted, tourism, which then, of course, impacts a lot of the economy that has really um, emer- emerged from water resources. Traditionally, authorities have used chemicals like algicides and herbicides to treat hazardous blooms. But as Herman explains, those chemicals may not be able to work in large-scale events. Some of the treatments that um, are applications of certain chemicals or other materials, that's great within smaller ponds. You can really knock that out. In large-scale reservoirs or navigational pools, we're really constrained as to how much you can actually dump into or treat in terms of those areas. So how do you treat a toxic event without using chemicals? The researchers think they may have found a potential answer, hydrodynamic cavitation. Put more simply, bubbles, micro-bubbles that destroy the algae as it reproduces. Research microbiologist Catherine Thomas explains. Once those cyanobacteria are basically, you know, rendered harmless at that point, you know, it's almost a, a situation where they're being killed and they're inactive at that point and they just kind of precipitate out of the water column. However, there's a catch. Authorities would have to be very strategic with where they tried to use that process because creating those microbubbles may not be able to work on a large scale. That's why scientists are also trying to find ways to locate algae blooms early. The research is still in its initial phase, but the team says using imaging data from drones may be able to help assess the scale of a potential bloom. But one of the best ways to stop a hazardous algae bloom from becoming a large-scale event is by preventing it in the first place. Remember that experiment conducted by Karina Young? And then there's a couple of settling chambers here because obviously you see there's a lot of oxidation. Which Essentially, contaminants are attracted to certain types of metal. By placing specialized iron sheets in water, Young hopes to turn the phosphates and nitrates into rust, which can be filtered out. A lot of these waterways are impacted with nutrients that are very high, typically phosphorus, nitrogen, And these allow the organisms to bloom. Currently, I'm using a zero-valent iron uh, mechanism where we can actually bind the the phosphate to the iron. And then any rust water we then can filter out with activated charcoal. And so far, we we are having very good success with it. As algae blooms grow and spread, the scientists at the Corps of Engineers in Vicksburg say they will continue to work to contain the problem. Paul Boger, MPB News. Coming up tomorrow on Mississippi Edition, discovering the music and culture of the Mojo Triangle. Goo Goo Clusters uh, is in the book. It's a lighthearted story. And Were Goo- they born in Mississippi? Goo no, Goo that's Clusters? a Nashville thing. Uh. And uh, Goo Goo Clusters was the first time that they made candy out of several ingredients instead of just Hershey bars, you know, just the chocolate. But they added peanuts and caramel. And, and they actually... <laughs> Supported, and they were a sponsor of the Grand Ole Opry. That's in our book club tomorrow on Mississippi Edition. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Money Talks in Legal Turn. No, it's Fix It 101. 
and Southern Remedy, also Everyday Tech. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. children who have problems with gastrointestinal issues, constipation, nausea, vomiting, or have you been told you shouldn't feed kids peanut butter or eggs until they're two or three years old? We'll take questions about that and any other questions you have on another Southern Remedy All Things Considered with our special guest, pediatric gastroenterologist Sophie Lancers. Hear the original Southern Remedy today at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Kyle Wynn & Associates, an elder law firm with offices in Ridgeland, Diamond Head, and Hernando, assisting clients throughout the state with estate planning, including trusts, avoidance of probate, and nursing home asset protection. Details at kyle-wynn.com.